Welcome to The Briefing. It is Thursday, September the 3rd. I'm Tom Tilley and today we're going to finally get a detailed picture of how Australian music festivals are going to work in the COVID era. And you'll hear from someone absolutely frothing to get back on stage, Tash Sultana. Yeah, the froth is really, that's a real thing. Like, everyone wants to just play a show. Oh yeah, the froth is real. Jan Fran joins us. How are you doing, Jan? Yeah, I'm good. I'm only mildly frothing, but I can imagine she would be really frothing to get back on that stage. Mildly frothing is good enough for me. Let's get into the big stories of the day. Well, it is official. Australia is in a recession. Our record run of 28 consecutive years of economic growth has now officially come to an end. The cause? A -a once-in-a-century pandemic. The effect? A COVID-19-induced recession. That was the Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg. Now, we knew this was coming. More than a million Australians are now unemployed. And to be classified a recession, the economy has to go backwards for two consecutive quarters. And yesterday, the Australian Bureau of Statistics confirmed that it had. Real GDP fell in the June quarter by 7%, the largest quarterly fall on record. Since the series began in 1959... This is its largest ever fall. Yeah, that doesn't sound good. This is our first recession, as you heard the Treasurer say, since the early 1990s, which means that we have had consistent economic growth in Australia for 30 years. That's what we're used to. So for the economy to contract and to contract by 7% is massive. Now, the biggest driver of that fall was people not spending on goods and services. The Prime Minister, though, Scott Morrison, says that things could be worse. More than a million Australians are out of work, Mr Speaker, but as Treasury advises, because of the actions taken by the government, that number could be 700,000 more. And we also know that we have avoided even more severe impacts as we've seen in other places. And he's actually right. It could have been a lot worse. And we've come out really well compared to other Western countries. Um, The UK's economy shrank 20%, which is a huge number. France's economy uh, went back 13% and America went back 9.5%. So to come in at 7% and and for some of that to happen because people are actually saving their money is quite a good outcome. Yeah, I guess you can call it a silver lining of sorts, maybe. There's always a silver lining of sorts. And an update to a story we brought you yesterday. As expected, AFL boss Gil McLaughlin has confirmed that for the first time ever... The grand final will be played outside Victoria on October 24. So it is my pleasure to formally announce that the 2020 Toyota AFL grand final will be played in Queensland at the Gabba. That is not the only change expected. The grand final will be scheduled for the night of Saturday 24th October with the exact start time to be confirmed as we talk to partners given daylight saving and other issues. So normally it's played in the afternoon, so they're going to play it in the night, but they've worked out every other detail except the exact time. Yeah, which is a (laughs) crucial detail, I will say. General Manager of Clubs Travis Old has thanked Queensland for saving the game. Without that support, it is not an uh, overstatement to say that we wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't be in a position to talk about a grand final and to stand here on the Gabba now and and think that in eight weeks' time we're bouncing a ball for a grand final is a pretty exciting moment and one you wouldn't have imagined uh, six months ago. So they haven't stolen the game, Jan. They've saved the game, Okay. Yeah. Just getting that clear. They've sort of only borrowed the game. So (laughs) all we know is that it's happening this year. We don't know what's happening um, next year and in the years to come. But Queensland's Premier is adamant, Anastasia Palaszczuk, saying that she will not let the southern state down. We acknowledge how important 
AFL is to Victorians and Queensland will absolutely do our best to put on a show. Yeah, I mean, the MCG in Victoria has hosted the grand final of the AFL since 1902. So this year is a one-off agreement between um, Queensland and the AFL and the game is actually contracted to be played in Victoria until 2058. So I'm pretty sure the Victorians are still holding on to that. They extended the contract by a year because they lost the game this year. So I don't think it's something that they're going to be giving up easily. Let's just say they've lent it to Queensland. Well, I think the success will depend how many people can watch the game and what the atmosphere is like and and what it does for the game outside of Victoria. Mm. Um, At the moment, 30,000 people are set to watch it. That compares to over 90,000 that normally cram into the MCG and create that amazing atmosphere. You know, potentially restrictions may change in the next two months and they may be able to fit more people in there and create a a bigger atmosphere. And potentially it could be really good for the game in Queensland. Yeah, look, it is a an ever-changing scenario. One thing, though, that won't change is the public holiday in Victoria, that, that Victorians will still get that day off. Thank you, Day. Thank you, Day. I think it's being renamed to. Not sure how Victorians are going to spend it, given that their movements are a little bit restricted, but you don't have to go to work. And TV personality Sam Newman has had a visit from the police after he tweeted that a quarter of a million Victorians should march to protest the state's lockdown. Yeah, he backflipped on seven and he said he didn't really mean it after Victoria Police warned that they'd jail anyone involved. I didn't encourage a quarter of a million people to march through the city. I said it was hyperbole. I said it was an arbitrary figure. Wouldn't it be great to see 250,000 people wandering through the city? The news comes on the same day that a pregnant mum in regional Victoria posted a video of the moment that she was arrested at home after allegedly planning an illegal lockdown protest. In relation to a Facebook post, in relation to a lockdown protest you put on for Saturday. Yeah, and I wasn't breaking any laws by doing you that. You are actually, you are breaking all. That's why I'm arresting you in relation to How can you children. arrest her? That's in front of my two children. Yeah, that footage has gone viral. It's been viewed more than four million times. Um, We reached out to the Victorian Police and in a statement they said any gathering of this nature is in blatant breach of the Chief Health Officer's directions and puts Victorians' lives at risk. Yeah, I hope Victoria can come up with a roadmap out of the lockdown because I think that people are getting edgy. Yeah, well, they're planning to announce one on Sunday, so it's going to be fascinating to see what that looks like. All right, Jam, we'll catch you tomorrow. Right now, let's talk chair dancing at music festivals with Jamila. Jamila, imagine we're in this crowd, standing shoulder to shoulder, boogieing away at a music festival. Can you even can you even get your head around that at the moment? You know what, Tom? And I hate this about myself. I can imagine it. I can feel it. I can take myself back to being in that space two years ago and I don't want to be there right now. It makes me feel really uncomfortable and almost scared. Yeah, well, if music festivals go ahead, it's going to look very different in this COVID era. But when they do, I think our lives will feel like they're finally getting close to normality. I mean, international travel would be good as well. And we were listening to the sound of Tash Sultana there, one of Australia's best live acts. 
And Tash is playing Blues Fest, which is one of the few big Aussie festivals planning to go ahead. We're going to talk to Tash in a moment, as well as the boss of Blues Fest. Today's briefing topic is music festivals in the COVID era. What will they look like if they can even go ahead at all? And is there any way festivals can happen in cities where there's still high community transmission? Can you have thousands of people in one place sharing a drink, dancing and listening to the bands they love, but also keep them socially distanced? Yeah, big questions. COVID smashed the festival scene and all live gigs all around the world. Coachella, for example, initially postponed until October, then had to cancel. They're now going ahead in April next year. Glastonbury cancelled, Splendour postponed, then cancelled, now scheduled for next July. Falls was going ahead at New Year's, but they cancelled just last week. Um, Woodford not happening, the list goes on. Lots and lots of setbacks and devastating for performers as well as audiences. One festival, though, that is trying to forge ahead is Blues Fest. They're planning for next Easter, which isn't really that far away. So let's speak to the promoter and find out how it's going to work. Peter Noble, thanks for joining us on the briefing. It's a gutsy call to go ahead. Why have you decided to push ahead with Blues Fest? Well, hey, how you doing? Blues Fest isn't the only festival that's looking at returning next year. The festivals that are looking at coming back are definitely in the minority. It's daunting to get a COVID safety plan approved and then a site-specific one approved. But you know what? Back in April, when Peter Volandis with the NRL said that the NRL's going to come back, yeah, I thought he was crazy. Mm. And he's been one of my greatest influences. But somebody has said, I'm going to make this work. I'm going to make it happen. And he's done it brilliantly. We in the music industry that look at all our colleagues who are out of work, no income for many, go, we have to be part of the return of our industry. Because if we're not, if we don't come back to the summer season of 2021, our industry is going to be decimated. As an industry, we've got to do what it takes to come back and present safe events. There is no alternative, in my opinion. So what are the biggest changes you've had to make to keep festival goers safe? We've seen a bunch of different ideas being floated overseas. What are you going to do to make sure people are distanced, wearing <laughs> masks and all the rest? If you look at an event site like Blues Fest, we are what's called a major recreational facility. We have developed an event site, a bit like a football stadium, but not the same. And that is what the return of music is going to look like. It's going to be seated. It's going to be socially distanced. From the minute you arrive, the person that's bought a ticket, for when they park their car to how they get to be facilitated to enter to where they go to where they're going to sit and watch the event, have got to feel like they're being treated in a manner that's safe. Whilst I'm working through a lot of that with the authorities and I don't have any concrete answers, I can tell you this. I don't think that standing events are going to be part of our near future. I think what we've seen in Newcastle was an experiment that was very costly. Pete, you mentioned Newcastle and you're talking about the UK there where recently they used this new kind of infrastructure called pig pens or gig pens. It's where people stand in these separate little little bays in their small groups um, raised off the ground. Are you saying you you don't really want to go down that path? You're looking more like um, seated rows? It's not cost effective, but if you look at the Sandstone Point Hotel on Bribey Island there, they did a 5,000 capacity event last weekend where they basically marked out the ground and then had people bring their own seats. 
And the police said it worked fine. Yeah, so why are those pig pens not cost-effective? Well, they would cost at least, we, we, we estimate at least $1,000 each and to build. Yeah. And if you look at that event that happened in Newcastle in the UK, the, the capacity was 2,500 people. They lost a lot of money. So it was a, it was a very good worldwide publicity gaining undertaking, but as a business, it just didn't stack up. So will you have to cap the number of festival goers at a smaller number than you have previously? We've run different scenarios and we're hoping to have an event that will have 15,000 people. Be prepared to do 20. And if it gets down to it, we could still make it work at 10. Are you worried the festival vibe just won't be very good with all these restrictions? Well, of course it's going to be different. I, I mean, everybody wants to stand up and move around and have fun. I think a lot of us have realised that, particularly Victorians, that being in lockdown is not a lot of fun. But to be, be beginning something, to actually initiate the beginning of the return of music is going to take a whole lot of people going, you know what, I've had an opportunity to be a part of something historic. Now, within that, there's maybe some discomforts. Yes, I've had to sit in my seat rather than get up and boogie. Yes, I've had to carefully go and consume alcohol. Yes, I've probably had to receive food in a boxed container. Those are all parts of it. Yes, uh, I've had to be part of staged finishes of events so that public transport can quickly and efficiently move me from the site. Yes, I've had to deal with being told what time to arrive. Yes, the seating areas may be colour-coded so that if there was a positive result, those people, and you've all had to be contact traced as you enter, would be easily able to be advised that somebody has turned positive in the in the area that they've sat in. All of those things. There is so much, it's daunting. Yeah. My company sits down every day and goes like, how do we deal with something like wristbanding? We came to the decision yesterday, well, people are going to have to wristband themselves. You can't have another human being putting a wristband on thousands of people without changing gloves every single time. There's a lot to be done. But if everybody cooperates, if we show how much we care about this industry and if everyone gets behind supporting those festivals and events that are going to actually get out there and try to make it work well. Peter, are you going to have to put up ticket prices? No. Wow. We, can't. we know that the Australian public is stressed financially right now. So all the ticket money that comes in goes into a locked account. We have no access to that. So if we do have to cancel, the public gets their money back. We are also saying to people that live in a state that may have a lockdown, but if that's occurring at the time of the event, we will give you your money back. This is not about making money. It's not about losing a lot of money either. It's about being part of the return of this live Australian music industry because we need it. We need it so bad. All right, that was Peter Noble. That was kind of inspiring, wasn't it, Jamila? You can really feel his passion. I, I, you know, that that almost sounds a little bit cute, but he just loves what he does and he wants to make sure people still get their live music. Yeah, and just mind-blowing the level of detail, even the wristbands. He's having to work through so much minutiae. I think there's the obvious things we think of and then there's the 10,000 other bits that don't come front of mind when you think about staging a festival in... COVID times. I, I've got to say, though, I wonder if I wonder if it's going to feel the same for the audience and for the performers. Yeah, well, let's get the artist's perspective. Tash Sultana has played Splendour in the Grass, Falls, Laneway. 
Tash is headlining Blues Fest, which um, is super exciting. Welcome to the briefing, Tash. What do you think it's going to be like to play to a seated crowd? I just really want to play a show. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that everybody is just going to have to accept that one, life has been really compromised for everyone at the moment. There's not really one person that's not experiencing the effects of this. But in the arts community where we depend on community interaction and response, it's going to be strange, but I just want to play a show. Are you going to have to change your show up in any way, Tash? Is it going to be adapted to this sort of weird new environment? Well, I mean, I'm pretty interactive when I play shows, so I really wanted to get out and crowd surf, so I'm not thinking that (laughs) that's going to be possible with germs anymore. (laughs) But the way that I kind of, months ago, when this stuff started happening, my shows started to get cancelled, and I just knew the whole year was going to be a write-off. It's almost worth treating it as a little bit more of an experiment rather than a real show, in a way. Have you had to drop your fees? Um, well, yeah. I mean, for some festival offers, all acts from the top all the way to the bottom have to take a little bit of a percentage cut. That's across the board because everybody's just hurt by it. Yeah. The people that are, that are the most hurt really are like the crew, sound engineers, lighting engineers and all that. Some of my crew have had to go and take jobs in coals just to get by. And they're like fantastic engineers and, you know, some of the best lighting engineers and sound engineers, guitar techs and all that in the country. And they've had to go and take work wherever they can. And how are you going to talk to your fans about it, Tash? How are you going to kind of communicate and explain that, as you say, this is going to be different, but if we sit there making comparisons the whole time, then it just won't be fun? The shows are going to be different. Just because you've got a seat probably doesn't actually mean that you have to say, stay sitting down. I think it just allocates your designated amount of space that you've got. But if people have got to wear masks in the crowd, I think I'll struggle with that because you want to hear people, you want to see people singing along. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a strange reality to, to confront, but it's great that you're, you're pushing ahead no matter what and great that people like Peter Noble are going ahead no matter how challenging, complicated, even unprofitable um, these ventures are. Thanks so much for speaking to us, Tash. Well, I just want to get back and play a show and if it's got to be in a certain way for a good while, we all have to just remember that it's a little while. We're going to get there to where we can get back to how we want to be. It'll probably always be a bit different from here on now because everyone's going to be a little bit scarred with what has happened, but we've got to get back to life. Well, I reckon we've the froth. Got to try. The froth's going to build when people finally get back to a is, proper gig. Yeah. It's going to go off. Yeah, the froth is really. That's a real thing. Like everyone wants to just play a show because we've all been doing live streams, and personally, it just doesn't cut it. No, I just want to get on that stage. Tash Sultana, there. How good was that, Jamila? Oh, that was such a good chat, and I love that we've got passion from every part of the music industry. Everyone just wants these gigs to go ahead. Yeah, exactly. And Tash saying, look, the main thing is she gets back on stage. And I think for people, you know, who are sitting at home, people like you in Melbourne, Jamila, the main thing is getting back however it looks. 
Absolutely. We are more than happy to wear a mask, more than happy to leave the handbag at home. It can be difficult. It can be weird. It can be a bit different. But being there and being part of something again and hearing the music, that sounds like heaven from lockdown Melbourne, I can tell you. That's it for today. Tomorrow on The Briefing, what's behind the fight between Facebook and the government and who's going to win? A Podcast One production.